Hey everybody, I'm Ryan. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Breaking Bad Show. This week, Chad and I are excited to bring to you Eric McCants. For those of you that don't know who Eric is, Eric is an investigative sergeant with the Burke County Sheriff's Office in Georgia, where he's also a member of the SWAT team. One thing I noticed about our interview that we talked about is the, the mentors that Eric has had appear to him in his life that he's been fortunate to have. And one thing I noticed is that often we may have mentors, but Eric was also blessed with the ability to listen to those mentors and apply their teachings into his life. Now what he does is he's taken everything that he's learned from his mentors and he's applied that to what he does in his own agency, as well as through the power of social media. Eric has become a mentor and an inspiration on the LinkedIn platform. For those of you that don't follow him already, Eric can be found in the gym, sharing videos of himself, repping out six plates, easier than most cops can lift a bang energy drink. Eric's also always doing what he can to make people laugh, whether it's through whistling at his partners or the funnies that he shares. He's also always there to be a friend and a mentor to other officers and other people through his buddy check-ins that he does. There's one big takeaway that I got from this interview. It's that police officers have a tough job. We have a stressful job. But we didn't get into this job because we wanted to be miserable and have a miserable career. We gotta remember that while we're out there doing our job, we gotta smile, we gotta laugh, and most importantly, Remember that we're going to have fun. This is the Breaking Bad Show. How's it going, everybody? I'm Ryan. I'm Chad. Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking Bad Show. This week, as we mentioned, we're excited to welcome Eric McCants to the show. Welcome, Eric. Hey, how y'all doing? Eric, what's up, brother? Nothing much, man. Try to stay out this heat. That's about it. (laughs) What's the temperature down there? Uh, Right now, it's at 100 degrees, but with the humidity, they said the heat index is about 110. 110 degrees. <laughs> that is crazy. Yeah, we were talking offline and I went to the boot camp down in, in Georgia and man, it was, I got there in August and I remember they called it shark attack when you get off the bus and the drill sergeants are yelling at you and screaming at you. And I remember I'm 17 years old, I'm rolling around and I'm sweaty, getting smoke, push-ups, sit-ups, flutter kicks, mountain, uh, mountain climbers. And all these pine needles are sticking to me in this grass. I'm like, what are all these things? I never had them in Philly. And uh, I mean, we got pine trees, but man, they're all over the place. And we had fire ants. And I'm thinking, what? Who lives in Georgia? It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and well, for, those that, for those of you that for those of you that aren't on LinkedIn and don't follow Eric on LinkedIn, you know, he's going to be careful down there because he posts the videos of him throwing up weights like you wouldn't believe. I've, I never see people rep out so many plates that I see Eric rep out. So you can be careful, man. Your hands get sweaty. You don't want that slipping out of your hands. Oh, yeah, man. You're following you. I actually have a video when I was lifting weights and I was doing 315 and it slipped out my hands and I tried to push it over. It's getting tough in my head. I was oh. a couple years ago, but it, it happens. Oh, oh that's bad. Oh, yeah. oh, so what's the most you ever lift? What's the most your, your record for benching? 
Uh, back in the day, I did about 410. And like I say, right now, I'm, I'm in the progress of getting back to 405. Right now, I'm, I'll probably get 385. So I'm giving it myself to about the end of the year to maybe get 405 again and try to go a little bit further. Because, uh, I'm in the process of start competing uh, with weightlifting. So I'm going to try that out just to see. But like I said, as a bigger guy, so the heavier you go, the more they can lift. So it's just one of those catch 22. <laughs> That's awesome to see. So Eric, mm-hmm. take us through your upbringing, man. We want to know like, where, where are you from? Tell us about what it was like being a kid in Georgia and, and what your upbringing was like. Uh, well, like I said, I'm, I'm from Augusta, Georgia, uh, which is maybe two hours away from Atlanta, right there on the border of South Carolina. Uh, grew up with my family. Like I said, basically we all lived in a family home together. Uh, my mother basically raised me, my brother and sister. I'm the youngest of three. Uh, we started off at a, a Christian school, which was our church. We started there from K-4 to second grade, which I stopped. And uh, then we went to the public school system. Uh, for me, it was a different change. Like I said, we're used to being in a, a – a church structure and you know, things going a certain way and them, you know, taking the power out, beating you if they need to, if you got out of line all stuff, then going to a public school system where people were more exposed to everything. Like I said, all we listened to was church music when I first grew up. So we didn't know anything outside of that. So when I went to public school, man, it was a little rough for me. Like my first four or five years, man, I I was, I'm not gonna say I was out of control, but I was bad. Like I said, I was just trying to adjust to it. And uh my mother and my grandfather and everybody else had to stay on top of me. Uh, then I went to middle school and like I said, I enjoy school. Like I went to school to enjoy myself. So I like having fun, like telling jokes, end up getting in trouble, end up going to alternative school, which is basically like it's a step right before you get expelled. So I was right there at that point. And then my eighth grade year, I came back to a different school and then it, it kind of mellowed out for me. Um, as a young kid, my mother had us in different things. Like I say, she didn't really have us in the sports. Uh, I started off with the violin. My brother played the violin, viola. Uh, my sister played the cello. I, and I started off with the violin. You know, me being me, I was like, man, first of all, I'm too big to be up here playing the violin. <laughs> then I switched over to the trumpet when I went to middle school, played that for a little bit, made it all the way up to uh, high school with it playing trumpet. I was in the uh, marching band, and then I decided I need to go play sports. So then I started uh, doing football, which I enjoyed. Uh, but wrestling was my best sport. I enjoyed wrestling. Uh, still enjoy wrestling now. And it kind of took me by surprise when I – learned what wrestling what it was and that WWE was fake. So I was a big Stone Cold fan and rock fan. Yes. And to see what yes. real wrestling was. And then seeing once I started looking at it, that it was fake. It, I can't watch wrestling now because of that. So it's going me from that. But uh basically like I said, my mother just had us in different things, like I said, with music. Uh when we got in trouble, she put us in the corner, we had to cross stitch like birds <laughs> and animals and stuff. I mean, it 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 kept me structured. And then like I say eventually I had an uncle who uh did Kung Fu and uh, karate. And my cousin, they moved down from Alabama. And then uh, basically I came under them and I started training about my 10th grade year. And I was taking karate ever since. And uh, went through high school, went to college. Well, I started off in college. I put it like that day. I kicked out. I was 17 when I went off to school. Uh, it's just too much for me. Uh, basically, they gave me free money with my refund check. And I ended up buying food and partying, not going to class. Ended up getting kicked out of school. Uh, worked at a grocery store called Kroger for a little bit. And then there was a police officer just sitting over there. He was talking to another guy, you know, me being nosy, I'm just listening. He told me, you should drill in the police academy. And basically around that same time he's telling that, my mother is actually texting me, like, you need to do something. You need to get back in school, do something. I'm like, what the heck? I signed up for the police academy. Signed up for it. Been in law enforcement ever since. Wow. I love that. Man, you were <laughs> talking about wrestling and I was going back. I was a huge WWE fan. The Rock, oh, Stone Cold. Actually, it's home. funny you brought that up. We have a, a wrestling question later. So. um what was your father in your life at all growing up or somebody you didn't you didn't know 
No, I, I, I met him maybe 10 times. I mean, he lives in the same area as us, but like I say, uh, I dealt with my grandmother and my aunt on the other side of the family, but we didn't really deal with him like that. Were there challenges not having a dad growing up, or is it something you just you didn't know any other way? So like like all the other ones, you just kind of figured out how to get get by. It was really a challenge. But like I said, my grandfather was there. Uh, like I said he passed away about in 2015. But basically, everybody under my grandfather was just basically under him. So my grandfather lived in the same area as us. Then my mother and my uh, aunts all lived together in the same house. So we had a big household. So basically, they all had a hand and helped to raise me. It was my uh, aunt Sharon, aunt Ruth. And they all, like I say, they all whooped us, all taught us things that we needed for life. And then, like I say, just playing football and different sports and band. And then, like I say, with my uh, uncle Archbishop and then uh, my cousin Abaya came down here with the karate and different stuff. Like I said, I kind of went under their, uh, their wing and, you know, start learning, develop how to be a man and stuff like that. So, I mean, he, his presence wasn't missing. Wow. So it was law enforcement. You said you, were, you saw that the police officer. Uh, was there any point in your upbringing growing up you, you kind of thought about it or was something that really wasn't on the radar until you, you ran into that a police officer? It was kind of when I ran into him. Like I said, I started off uh, going to school for business management. Like I say, uh, I get really deep into karate. Uh, my cousin had a karate school. And so he was teaching me the business aspect of it. So I went to Augusta State University to get my uh, degree in business management so I can help run the business. Um, but even then, uh, I've always been a bigger fella. Uh, and then with my cousin, we always did like security gigs for people because they knew we did martial arts and stuff like that. So I was kind of in that aspect, but it wasn't something I planned on doing. Like I said, at first I wanted to be a math teacher. Then I wanted to be uh, a business management to, you know, help with the business. So law enforcement wasn't even on, on my mind. And then like I say, I sort of fell into it. And then like I said, I fell in love with it in the academy. And like I said, I've been doing it ever since. So uh, we're going to get into the law enforcement stuff because that, that's obviously why you're here. But um, I, I'm really interested in your social media. I think you've, uh, I'm a big personal branding person, really get out there and, and show your personality and your attributes and, and the value add to other people, man, you have that in spades. You do such a great job. Is that something that you were trying to do or it kind of just fell into, you know, putting out some content and people following it? Well, it kind of fell into it, like putting out some content, but like I've been around a lot of people who had big influences on my life. Uh, like I said, my sheriff, uh, Alfonso Williams, he's always been a play a big role in my life. Uh, actually, he was my instructor in the academy and then people like Dennis Benino. And then I started listening to like motivational uh, tapes like from Eric Thomas and Les Brown and having people encourage you. And then like I said, my uncle, uh, Archbishop, he used to live like different gyms to you and stuff like that. So just picking up to that and seeing how it inspired me, I wanted to help inspire others. But, uh, um, I got this book and then this movie called The Secret from one of my partners that were with me, Tadree Woods. He put me on it, and like I say, it totally changed my mindset about different things. Like I say, uh, you know, I wasn't a Debbie Downer, but still, if something was going on in my life, I just focused on that problem. Like, okay, I need to go ahead and pay this bill. If I don't, this is what's going to happen. That's going to happen. And then he put me on that movie. He said, he always tells me, man, don't worry about it. It happened. It all worked out. That's just how he is in life. And like I said, I see how blessed he is and how he blesses others. And then I figured that paying attention to this movie, listening to motivation stuff, just keeping my mind in the right place. Yeah, I'm going to have problems. We all have problems. But I can work through them if I don't focus on that negativity and then start putting that stuff out there on LinkedIn. People start to follow, then it just kind of blew up. I love that. And I love how you reference, you know, the, you're, not that you're a Debbie Downer, but we're human beings. We all have just days where you're kind of complaining and whining, especially in law enforcement. Sometimes you get around the water cooler in the squad room and, and maybe morale is not the best. Guys love to talk, but 
where did you learn to make that switch? Like, what was for you? You know what? I got to start being a little bit more positive, a little more accountable, and also trying to help people do that. Uh, well, um, it was about four or five years ago. I went to a interdiction class, and then he brought up this page called Street Cop Training. Didn't know anything about it, but then I met uh, the owner of Street Cop Training, who was Dennis Benino, and uh, I started watching his videos. Like he had a whole bunch of content on Facebook, and then basically he was telling me, you know, telling different people about like law enforcement, like. Even if they don't see you to train and different things like that, you have to take it upon yourself to pay for it, take your vacation days. If you want to become the best at what you do, you got to make sacrifices. And now I started taking it hard, going to different training, paying for classes myself, taking time off, just trying to become the best officer that I can be. Like, I'm not going to say I'm over competitive, but I have one of those things about me, like I want to be the best if I'm doing something. That's just how I am. That's how I see things. And I want other people to kind of have that mindset. I'm not saying you got to compete with everybody, but in day and back of my head, like, okay, well, you made a good drug, you know, bus. You did this. You had a good rest. That's good. I appreciate that. Now I got to go do it myself. Like I said, just how I am. But yeah, his page and uh, just his words of encouragement. Like I said, I spent many hours sending videos of my traffic stops and how I handled policing to him. And he always told me this. Like I said, he's from New Jersey. He said, for one, he had a southern draw. When we talked, he said, you talk really fast. He said, slow down. He also said, I said, like I said a thousand times, anytime I talk to a person, I can't help it. I just say it all the time. Like I said, it just comes out like that. But he helped me become better at my craft. Uh, that's awesome. It's funny. You, you talk about uh, talking too fast. And that's just the way you say, like I said, I took this personal branding class last year. And, and, and basically the, the theme was your imperfections are what makes you likable. You're not trying to talk every se sentence is perfect, eloquent. Just being you is, is what people are drawn to. So keep that up, man. That's great. Um, I, and you spoke to Ryan because I mean, I was watching Ryan nod his head when you said, uh, you got to be accountable for your own career and sacrifice. I mean, that is, we, we preach that all the time on the show. Um, did you grow up that way? Having that accountable mindset of like, look, I can't expect everyone to hand me stuff. Uh, is that something you learned as you kind of grew up? Well, that's how it was my mother. Uh, she always told us, like I say, she was real big on education. Now she'll let us do our instruments. She'll let us play sports. But if you didn't get your education first, she wasn't going to go for any of that. She, that's just how she was. And she said, you know, you going around school acting up. I said, and then they, the people around you are not going to get in trouble when you come home. It's going to be you. So you need to do what you need to do to put yourself above everybody else. And like I said, that's just one thing she taught us. And like I said, my brother and sister, they're competitive. Uh, we always talk about who's smarter. Uh, I can kind of be honest. My brother's probably the smarter one of us all. Like I said, he went to a fine arts school, which uh, Davidson Fine Arts was like the number one high school in the United States for a while. But uh, he went there. And, you know, I went to public school, so we always get into the argument. But my brother and sister pushed me, too, like I say, you know, we'll say a little different sentences, and he always correct me. Like I say, like, this is hard. He like, that can't be hard. It can be difficult, but it can't be hard. This table's hard. That's difficult. And he just correct stuff like that. And then little things like that stuck with me. And he said, just make sure you learn to carry your way, yourself the way you need to so people will learn to respect you. And so just holding myself accountable as far as my family and then as far as sports and everything else like that. And that's kind of how I get myself into where I'm at. That's great. So you're, you're in a leadership role now, right? You're in a sergeant. Yes, sir. Well, like I said, the way it works at my age is uh, like all investigators, they're all sergeants. And like I said, we run a, a five man crew over there in uh, my narcotics division, but we're all sergeants. Then we have one lieutenant. How much, how important is leadership to you? Um, whether you're supervising people or not, you know, how, how important is leadership? Uh, and, and setting a good example, modeling good behavior. How important is that to you? Uh, that's very important. Like I said, that's going to keep the morale of the people below uh, up. 
like say, um, frontline supervisors is very important. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Like the corporal sergeants, they keep the department together. Like I say, they're like in between the upper echelon and then they're right there with the, the lower people of the totem pole. And so when things are going on, people confide in them. And like say, having a good leader is not going to be up there just giving you bad news and just talking trash about everybody else, but, you know, picking you up, telling you to maintain that positive focus that things will get better is very important. So I say, you know, as a young officer, you come in there, you know, things are changing all the time. You're not used to it. They make you work night shift and work, you work day shift. It becomes too much. And if you have somebody that can encourage you and uh, lead you the right way, then you have a better chance of handling situations when they come to you. So that's why I believe a good leadership or a good leader is very important to the success of a department or any type of agency. Yeah, so true. If you're in a squad room or, or patrol room or, or having lunch and there's a group of officers sitting around kind of talking trash or, or kind of contributing to that negative culture, um, what, what do you do? I mean, are you interjecting? Are you walking away? What, what are you normally doing to handle it? It just depends on the, on the situation. Like sometimes you got to let them vent. Like say, you know, they got to get off the chest, but if it just becomes too negative, you got to let them know that, hey, man, complaining's not going to do anything about it. I'd say more than likely it's going to make it worse for y'all. Like say, no one wants to be around complainers all the time. And like I said, we all do it. We all have those days where it's just like, man, forget this. I'm tired of this place, whatever. But you can't let it stay there. So you got to be able to talk to them. And like I said, sometimes you just got to walk away from the situation and text them later on. Like, hey, man, I know you're having a hard time. Better days come. Like I said, we all been through this. We all had our law enforcement career where ups and downs occurred. But sooner or later, better days happen. So sometimes it's not always best to confront a person, definitely when they're in front of friends because they might take it the wrong way. Sometimes it's best to let them handle them or shoot them a test. Like, hey, man, maybe you shouldn't be talking like that. Because sometimes you never know who you're around. You never know who's going to tell what. I'd say that, that could cause a problem. And also, you just want to be labeled that officer and your department is always complaining about everything that comes along. I said, because you get that bad rap and no one wants to be around you. And it's hard to come out of that, man. Once you get that reputation, it's hard to spin that. Um, yeah. What did your family say when you said you want to go into law enforcement? Well, I mean, were they supportive or any trepidation issues there? Oh, no, my mother was supportive. Actually, my uh, uncle, he worked for the local agency uh, before uh, I was even born, but he worked at the police department. And I told my mother about it. Uh, she was supportive. She actually brought me my uniforms and all my gear for it. She said, just make sure you can stick through it with it. And I say, um, she picked me up and took me through the academy uh, when I needed a ride. So she was very supportive. And then, like I say, my family always supported me of anything I did. They just said, make sure you do the best that you can. Don't be coming around, you know, pouting about it if you don't succeed at it. Probably out of all the stuff you post, my favorite one is the whistling videos because that just reminds me of me trying to get under my partner's skin when I was a cop and detective. Mm -hmm. How did that start? How did you start making those whistling videos? Well, actually, like I said, I was in the, in the car with my partner. And like I said, my grandfather was a big whistler. Like he'll listen to old school music uh, and he'll just whistle the whole song. Like Temptation, he'll whistle the whole song. And I just have that naturally about me. Like I hear music I know and I, like I say, from being in the band and stuff, Start whistling, and then I, I was whistling one time. That I looked beside him, and he was just staring at me, steaming. I'm like, "What? What is wrong with you?" He's like, "Could you please stop that?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Whistling." I'm like, "It's nothing wrong with whistling. Everyone whistles." But it started upsetting him so much. Like he was sitting there just snarling at me and start throwing stuff. I'm like, man, 
calm down. Then one day I decided to put my phone up, record him while I was whistling, and I could see him. He was trying to be patient. And then he just said, look, he like, could you please stop? And then he just went down here with that. I was like, man. And once you tell me something like that, man, you know, I'm going to keep egging on. I said, until you get tired, you know, he'll probably pick me up and throw me. But, yeah, until then, man, I just keep whistling around him. It, it's a habit, though. Like, honestly, I don't even think about it until I see him mad, and then I just keep doing it. Does he know he's a social media legend? Always a subject of your jokes. <laughs> I mean, he's actually on Instagram. I told him to get LinkedIn. I said, man, you're probably has the ballers, but they know how angry you get about whistling. And it's some people that relate to you that don't like whistling. I said, but now nah, he, he doesn't have a LinkedIn. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so, Eric, up here in, I don't know if they do it down in Georgia, but up here in, in uh, the Boston area, the big way that you work overtime is by doing traffic details. You go out when they're doing road work and everything and you flap your arms, and you direct traffic around, around the construction, and everything guys always out there. You drive down the road, you're going to see cops doing, they call them details. Mm-hmm. And when I would work a detail, I would be whistling until my mouth was dry. I'd be doing, guitar, you know, be whistling solos and songs and everything. And, you know, you get the construction workers. My goal would be to get someone in a, in a car going by to be able to say, what is he whistling? And get them to look. And everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, man, I just whistle out of nowhere, man. It just, it just happens. Like, my aunts and all of them, these all whistle. And, like I said, they can whistle loudly. I never had that ability. Like, some people that can whistle with their fingers and have that loud whistle that resonates. I, I can't do that. So, I just do what I can. <laughs> yeah, I'm, i can never do that either i like to call myself a, 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 a melodic uh whistler yeah one thing i i noticed and you know as you were talking and everything and it, it, was, it was really impressive is that you've not only been blessed with having a whole string of different mentors in in different stages of your life but i think we also have to credit you for you know the mentor has to be there but you have to be willing to to listen because i have to imagine that along with those mentors there were also a lot of noise in your life that could have brought you the other way so what did you do and 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 how were you able to follow the guidance and listen to the mentors that made themselves available in your life versus kind of getting sucked to the negativity side well i uh, it is part mentally but then like i say you just got to hold yourself accountable uh like i went to a school called Glenhurst high school and like i say you just had the opposite spectrum of both ends like either you're going to be part of the gang fight people and all that stuff or either you're going to do sports and then some of the people that were fighting in games they did do sports or you're going to be academic so i just kind of found myself in the happy medium right there in the middle like i said i could relate to the people in the games and stuff but i didn't hang with them and then i dealt with people with sports and academics but kind of like i said i kind of stayed to only a certain amount of people. And like I said, my coaches were always a big uh, influence in my life. They always tried their best to keep us out of trouble. And the ones that they could, they were very successful at. But like I always tell people, you say, you can't save everyone. So sometimes you're going to have to take personal responsibility for yourself to stay that way. And then like I said, with my cousin and them coming around with karate, like I said, that took up a lot of focus in my life. Uh, and like I said, I always had structure in my life, but that was a different type of structure. Like having someone in your face all the time punching you and kicking you and telling you need to do this. I was like, man, it was, it was different. And like I said, I never say oh, I have an anger problem, but I was always been one of those people that like say, I'm going to take it so much that we're going to have to deal with it. And I learned not to do that with them because I tried to deal with it with them and they taught me easily, this ain't what you want. So, <laughs> so and I know you mentioned that for a little while when you went to public school, you kind of went astray and, and you were in the um, – the the other school for a little bit, right? 
Oh, yeah, the alternative school. Yes, sir. The, the alternative school. So I've always been one to say that I think the best police officers are the ones that did not live those straight arrow lives. I always attributed, I mean, I, I, I was lucky that I never got in trouble with the law. But, you know, I got in my fair share of trouble and I did plenty of things that I shouldn't have. And I, I always thought that that helped me be able to rate, relate to people when they got in trouble when, as a police officer. How, how do you feel about that? How do, you, how do you think that experience helps you relate to people that you're dealing with on the street? Well, it helps a lot because, like I say, you understand that people make mistakes. Like I say, we've all been there. We're all younger, uh, especially, like I said, when I was younger, like I said, man, you know, it's probably a tribute to why I lost a lot of football games, why we lost football games. Like, we actually smoke weed before we play football. Like, <laughs> for the football game, it could be the reason why we lost some football games. But, like I said, that's something that we did. And, like I said, I did it for high school and, like, maybe, like, a couple of months in, into college. But then also, like I said, I had a partner whose father was actually a law enforcement officer, and we were best friends. And, like I said, we weren't bullies. But, like I said, we weren't going to back down from anybody. And he was bigger than me. And, man, we got in plenty of fights. I mean, plenty of them, like, drop, like, I can remember one time we was downtown area, it was what we call uh, First Friday, and I'm just sitting there minding my business, somebody bunts me, I'm like, okay, man, I ain't worried about it, my partner, who is my best friend, flies off the handle, he's like, you need to say, excuse me, don't bump into him, different type of word, you just can't say him online, and they should know, it was just two of us, and it was only one of them, and we're walking down the street, we thought it was over, about 10 people surround us, they're like, oh, since y'all was talking all the trash, come on. My partner takes off a shirt. He's like, well, y'all just going to have to come on with it. I'm like, well, I'm not going to leave him hanging. So we end up fighting. Like, we're out in the brawl right there in the middle of the street. Someone says, police, we all get up. We walk away. Walk to the back street. We thought it was over with. Still wasn't over with. More people come. They try to fight us. Then one of our partners just so happened to come. He had a gun on. And he said, hey, don't worry about them. He put us in the car. He said, y'all go do what y'all need to do. Y'all know be out here with these people. Go home. That could have went the other way. I could have a criminal record right now because of that. But God saving grace. And that's why I say it helps you out on the street to have that um, discernment and just knowing that, you know, uh, officer discretion, knowing that uh, everybody doesn't need to go to jail, everybody doesn't need a ticket and all that stuff. And sometimes you could just relate to them. Just tell them, hey, man, I've been in these places before. I understand. We all have hard days. We all have hard times. Tell them that they don't need to do this again. And some people are just going to be hard on here. They're going to do again. But some people just take that first lesson, but like, okay, well, maybe I need to stop what I'm doing. So we've all gone through things. And that's why I tell people, I say, if you have some type of experience not being on a straight pair, a straight narrow path, that you would probably be a good law enforcement officer because you can relate to people. You understand what's going on. You actually been in those areas. You know how it is growing up in these certain places that you can relate to these people and what they're going through. And I think even, you know, to take it even a step further, I, I think there's such a value in that is now that when you're able to relate, you're building that relationship with the community that, all right, this is an officer I can trust. This isn't an officer like, like the media tells me that police are like or everything. This is a police officer I can go to. I can confide in him. He, he's, he's like me. Yeah. It, like my sheriff was always big on it when I was in the academy and he is now building a rapport with your, uh, with the community. He said, make sure you have that customer service uh, personality about yourself when you deal with people so people can confide in you. Like say, most of the crimes that we solve is from help with the community. And like I say, if you had that type of relationship, and like I say, dealing, even with the, the uh, part of law enforcement I deal with as far as drugs, you got to have that type of relationship to deal with people. Because at the end of the day, they can set us up at any time when we're doing the things that we do. 
And like I say, you just got to be able to have that trust between that person and them. And like I tell people, you don't trust them to a certain extent, but still you got to be able to build that relationship and bond with people so they can confide in you when something's going on or someone just got shot and you don't have any clues. They pull you up to the side like, I didn't say this, he did. So you got to have that type of relationship with the community that you serve in. Yeah. So now working in drug investigations, how is is that difficult to cope with? I, I know so many, so many things when I was a police officer, it was the never ending. Like every, every time you fixed a problem, another one came up. Does it ever get, does it get frustrating when it seems like every time you get one deal or off the street, there's another one popping up that you got to chase and there's always people overdosing. Do you ever feel like no matter what you do, you can't get ahead of it? Well, you can kind of have that feeling, but like I say, I'm one of those people that believe, Hey man, uh, there's more work to be done. Um, because at the end of the day, the drug industry is a billion dollar industry. It's not going anywhere. But I feel that if I could stop one person from overdosing, I did my job. Or one person from getting killed because of these drugs, I did my job. And yeah, I'd say it's going to happen. You take one person off the corner, somebody's going to be there the next minute to replace them. That's just how the game goes. But like I say, you got to have that drive and you be like, okay, well, I got that person. I'm going to get this person. Like I say, and the work continues. So you just got to have that type of personal drive about yourself being in drugs, like I say, man, it's a never-ending game. Like I say, you think you're stop the biggest person or the biggest drug dealer in your area, they're getting their drugs from somebody else. So it's always someone bigger and better to get as far as narcotics and drugs. Yeah. What's the what's the big drug down in Georgia right now? I guess you could say right now, I'm sure it changes. Uh, meth and fentanyl is coming up. Meth is really big. Like I say, most people we did was going to have some type of meth on the line, say, man, uh, like I said, I've always been big in the interdiction work, and I read, like, there's a snow in all these different places where they popping people in, like, Arizona, Texas, with, like, 300 pounds of methamphetamine on traffic stops and all that stuff, but meth is really big in that area. And then people are starting to mix fentanyl with everything, so that's yeah. one of the issues we're starting we start to deal with. Yeah, that, that fentanyl. We, we When I was finishing up my career, that's well, that was the big problem up in this area, was that getting mixed with heroin and didn't take mm-hmm. much of that, and... So it seems it seems to me too that one one way that you definitely you know get I, I should I, I don't know if get through but but you know you you see, always seem to make the most of it and you seem to have a fun time with what you're doing. How important is that to someone's career? Oh yeah, man, you got to laugh, man. That's one of the best parts of being a law enforcement is laughing. You have with your friends, like you know, most people might see a dead body or something like that. There, you know, officers are gonna be to the side talk about what they want for lunch talking about what we're going to do when we get off. I say, you got to maintain that positive mindset and laugh. But I say, we see some crazy stuff. And if you focus on that, you might spiral out of control. And like I said, I work with some funny characters. And like I say, all we do is talk trash to each other. And that's basically what most of the shift consists of is talking trash to each other or try to wrestle with each other. So <laughs> laughing is a big part of it. And that's why I tell people, I say, I believe in laughing. That's why I try to make people laugh as much as I can. And I say, even for that brief minute, you're going to forget about the problems that you had going on. So Telling jokes and like I say, that's just how we know each other. Like we'll come into work and you could tell when one of us is not in the right mind or something like that because we'll be able to frown and all that. And if somebody's gonna say something crazy, then you're gonna start laughing. And then like I say, man, it kind of takes that air out your chest, makes your shoulders go down so you can relax a little bit. And that's why I'm a big believer in laughing, telling jokes, just having a good time. Yeah. I guess so we honestly, my one of my partners and I, we use we would do the um like in super troopers. We do the we'd see how many see if we could get someone to realize when we were doing the meow. Yeah. And we get people doing that. Some people would notice and some people would they just completely stop in the bit. What did what did you just say? Yeah. Man, <laughs> and then, they do some crazy stuff, man. 
And you, you talked about laughing, man. So what, one time my partner and I, we, we had to go serve this warrant. We were like, oh my God, I don't want to go have to deal with this guy and everything. So we were like, let's do something crazy. So we go in and we're going to arrest this guy. And we pretended to almost get in a fight with one another while we were arresting this guy. We we're like yelling at each other and calling each other names and telling us that we're going to beat each other up and everything. <laughs> <laughs> this guy he's looking at us like what but i tell you what he let us put the handcuffs on him and walk him right out to the, the car you know he didn't oh yeah man i said man i've i've, I've had luxury to work with some good partners and like i said man I, my first start in law enforcement they put me in the bridge called housing so me and my partner chris we were working in the street called railroad avenue so we were just seeing this one guy here knew he had warrants so we get out talk to the guy we put the guy hands on him and like say it took maybe two seconds me and him was talking to each other and I just happened to look off. We didn't see the guy no more. Like we didn't, I don't know where he went to. I don't know how fast he got there, but we didn't see the guy no more. And we sitting there looking at each other. Like we just went out with this on the radio and we told him we had the subject, you know, detained. And lo and behold, he's it, gone. <laughs> it was no guy, man. I said, man, we, I've, I've had some calls like that, man, where crazy stuff happened. Like uh, just recently I was talking to a guy, man. And, um, Got him out the car, I smell marijuana, got the marijuana out the car. So I'm searching the car, like doing what I do. It's kind of my fault because I didn't put him in handcuffs. So he was leaning against the back of my car. And so I pulled the marijuana out the car and I turned back around. Look, didn't see the guy anymore. I'm like, <laughs> and so I had to call out on the radio. I'm like, Man, I got one running, but I don't even know where he's running to. Running. <laughs> and they're like, Oh, I know he's not here. <laughs> yeah. Only good thing about it, he left his license and his ID in the car. So Kind of his fault, but it's kind of my fault too. I like, man, that's that's rough right there. But yeah, man, that's that's why I tell people that's the best part of law enforcement. Like after the calls and laughs that you have with people, or when people talk to trash, man, that's just one of the best parts of it. Yeah. So actually, if I may interject with the story, right? Because um, since this is this is funny, I think so. My my father ended the ride along program at my police department uh, before we let family members ride along, but now we don't do that anymore because in 2011. It was right before I got promoted detective and I'm on patrol is night shift and my dad's doing a ride along. My dad comes up with a ride along with a king loaf of white bread, a pound of turkey and a pound of American cheese. And I'm driving him my patrol car. He's sitting in the, in the shotgun and he looks at me. He goes, son, you want a sandwich? And I'm like, yeah, dad, I have a sandwich. So here I am driving my police car, eating a big old ham and cheese sandwich. <laughs> then at maybe 3 a.m., and of course, the golden rule for for ride alongs is don't get out of the car. I don't know if did you guys do ride alongs at your police yep. department. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the golden rule is don't get out of the car. Like just whatever happens, happens. So it's like three in the morning. We get a tone, like an emergency tone. Beep. Fifty three units fight in progress, Wedgwood Park. So we zooming over there. That was my zone. So I was there first. And we get there, and they're on the basketball court in this dark park in a very kind of low income area. No lights at all. Uh, we see juvenile laying on the ground motionless or a young young person and we see another one get up and run now we didn't know anything right like we respond to calls you don't know what's going on but i thought it was assault in progress this guy's unconscious that guy assaulted him and left so i get out of my car and yell foot chase 5335 foot chase you know so i'm running after the guy nobody else is there yet i hear him on the radio they're coming all of a sudden i have my mag light out and i'm because it's pitch black and i have my flashlight i'm looking for the guy and he starts to scale a big fence all of a sudden, I see another mag light, this, the, the light booming around. And I know nobody else is on scene yet, and I'm running. And I look behind, it's my dad. <laughs> He's like, I'm right behind you, son. I'm right behind you. <laughs> and I'm like, Dad, get back in the car. Get back in the car. 
He's like, oh, I'm not leaving my partner. I'm not your partner. You're a ride-along. Get in the car. So this guy's scaling the fence. I'm trying to rip him down. My dad's behind me. It was a mess. So everybody leaves. We, we arrest the guy, and the sergeant comes up to me. Very nice guy, Dean. And Sergeant Dean looks at me, and he goes, meet me back at the station. Yep, you already know what I mean. Yep. And I was like, thanks, Dad. Thanks. <laughs> and that it. That was it. That was the last family member uh, 11 years ago to ride in a police car my agency. <laughs> oh, no, Chad, I, I, I had heard some of that story, but not all of it. And I'm, I'm, I'm freaking wiping the tears away. Yeah. <laughs> My dad's he's, he's a knucklehead, man. He's just somehow he thought it was okay to grab the spare mag light in the car and run with it. He didn't even think about it. Like he was right on my tail. I was like, what are you, you're like in your fifties or sixties. Unbelievable. So to, to all of our police officers listening right now, I, I think, you know, the, the last couple minutes, I mean, he's, I, I'm laughing. I think this stresses the importance of what Eric mentioned and that's have fun on the job. Don't forget that you came on the job to have fun. The serious moments is going to be stressful moments, but keep having fun. Keep the positivity. Keep keep your mindset right. That is that is so key because in in my career, I allowed my mindset to go to the shit, which eventually ended my career. And building my mindset is what led me out. And I, I think I've said on the show before. You know, I can only imagine what my career would be like now if I had the mindset I had now when I was still in the career, when I was still on the job. So yeah. Eric, you know, one, one big question I, I got for you, maybe you could share some advice with our listeners is, you, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's people that they're sitting here and they're saying, Oh yeah, that was, that was great. Eric had all these great mentors growing up. He had all these mentors as a police officer. I, I'm stuck here with nothing. You know, I don't have a mentor. What would your advice be to an officer who feels like he doesn't have a mentor on the job, he doesn't know what to do. He, he just he, he doesn't have someone he can look up to, or that 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 he feels wants to help him. Well, to reach out to people, like I say, um, social media is so big right now, man. And a lot of these people that you know are big in law enforcement or can be good mentors or FTOs on stuff don't have to be there physically to train you. And uh, like I say, that was how Dennis Benino was for me and a guy named Tom Rizzo and Jeffrey Smith, and basically like street cop training. That's what they had those people there for, like instructors. They're accessible to you. You can reach out to them and talk to them. Like I say, you know, everybody doesn't have big budgets, but they can have the best officers come in to train you and stuff like that. But that's the power of the internet. And you can always reach out to somebody. And, you know, I've had people reach out to me on LinkedIn and just ask for advice. And I try my best to help them the best I can. Like I tell them, I mean, some situations I can't, some situations I haven't been in. But if I can't, I'm going to try somebody to find you somebody that can give you the answer that you need. So you might can't find it at the agency. Sometimes you might have got to go to the agency right next to you or down the road, do a couple of ride-alongs with them. Sometimes you have to seek out the help that you need. Like I say, you can't just expect for it to be right there in your face. And that's why a lot of people get frustrated with. They think it's supposed to come to them. Sometimes you got to go to it. So that's one of the things you got to do. Yeah, and that, that, was a, that was a huge thing, you know, in in my, I'll say in my department, you know, is, is so many people, and I got sucked into that. We would... You can play. Oh well, they don't offer us a training. They don't do this. They want to provide this. There's no. There's no training. They don't want to send us anywhere. And I, I, you said it at the beginning: is we got to take it upon ourselves to go out and seek the personal and the professional development that that we want, that we desire for our career. And like you mentioned, today's day and age, with the internet and social media, everything you can imagine is at your fingertips on the computer, on your phone while you're sitting there in the car. 
whether it's getting on LinkedIn or social media platform and connecting with people, whether it's going on YouTube and watching police training videos. I mean, it is everywhere. You just, uh, so, and we'll make sure that we put the, the link to this resource uh, in the show notes for people. I think you mentioned street cop training. Yes. Yeah, so streetcoptraining.com. Uh, Dennis Benino is the co-founder and instructor of it. And like I say, uh, his work has trained me. And matter of fact, he's from New Jersey. He's up there and his company's in New Jersey. I can't think of the areas from, but, he has a shirt that's all around the country. And basically he's bringing people on with his company, uh, you know, flew in a case law. Tom Rizzo is, gives a, a class over being in leadership role and being positive. Then you have Jeffrey Smith, who's from Maryland, who does like narcotics classes. And you got people that do social media investigations, people that do mental health. Like he has law enforcement instructors that specialize in these different things. And he has all for his company. So I believe that every officer I know should at least seek out that type of training, at least talk to him or talk to somebody from there, because you're going to find something positive that'll help your career. That's awesome. And thanks for letting us know about that training, be able to, uh, to put that out to our listeners. Awesome. We love providing people with, that, with the resources and everything too. So mm-hmm. what's coming up, what's the future look like for, for Sergeant Eric McCants? What are you excited about? Uh, well, instructing, like I say, uh, I just got my uh, instructor certification last year in December to teach other law enforcement officers. And like I said, that's always been one big thing I always, you know, like doing or enjoying doing was teaching people. Like I said, I taught karate for a long time. I've always, you know, liked to mentor people and all that. And I feel like I connect with people as far as teaching them. And like I said, I've had some great instructors. And like I said, we all had them bad instructors too. And that's what you don't want to be. Like I said, you remember those people, you go to a case law class or constitutional law class, and you've been there trying to hold your head up because they're so boring and so monotonous. And like I said, you want to have somebody that has energy, but they can deliver the information and know what they're doing. So that's one big thing that I'm looking forward to. And then, like I said, I'm still in the process of either trying to go state or federal um, to become a special agent. Uh, like I say, now, federal fitness standards are a little bit different. I'm a bigger fellow. So running a mile and a half in like 12 minutes and 30 seconds, it's a little push. Like I say, that's, that's a lot of man to be moving that fast. So it's, 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 a, it's a work in progress. But like I say, things like FBI, DEA, Homeland Security and all that stuff, something I wouldn't mind doing. Like I say, um, I always enjoy doing long, big cases. Uh, something that takes a lot of time, a lot of manpower, but the end result is going to be a, make it all worth it. So I enjoy doing things like that. So uh, becoming an instructor, uh, I wouldn't mind becoming an adjunct instructor, but a lot of things are going on online. And like I said, I don't, I got my whole degree off online tra- uh, training from a uh, University of Phoenix. I don't mind that, but I feel like I'll be better served teaching people face to face. I feel like I have to make a, a better connection with people, talking to them, being hands on with them. So becoming an adjunct instructor, we'll just see. And then, like I say, becoming a special agent one day. Oh, that's awesome! You're not a uh, you're not a PowerPoint guy, like like uh, just like me. I mean, I can you show me a PowerPoint? I have no interest. Like I like people who are engaging, conversational, and, mm-hmm. and engaging and everything. <laughs> Reading yeah, off a PowerPoint that is not for me. Oh no! I like to say, man, and, and that's why I tell people I say, you know, I don't have uh, narcolepsy or whatever that is, but I'll fall asleep on you quick. Like I said, I'll be sitting there and I'll be and I'll just be nodding, and I only think about it in my head. Be, and then they're probably going to put me out of the classroom. So, you know, you don't want me to become that type of instructor. And like I said, with Dennis Benino, he was one who always told me, he said, man, you know, make your PowerPoints if you're going to do it. Make it fun. You know, have your instructional material in there, but also put a little funny video on there, put videos in there that will engage people to have them watch it. And you go back to your material and just keep doing that back and forth. But a lot of instructors just have a plain PowerPoint. Just go straight through the PowerPoint and all that. And they have that monotonous voice. And you be like, man, when's the next bad for break? And that's not the type of instructor I want to be. 
That's awesome. So uh, the, the thing, I, I, am I, can I expect to see more um, Eric McCants running videos than, than uh, weightlifting videos now? <laughs> Technically, actually, I, I don't know. Nah, I'm not going to report myself running because I don't want to. Not when it's 100 degrees like out, right? Yeah. Actually, I sound like a train running. Like, I'd I be breathing hard, be trying to catch my breath and all that stuff. Actually, I, I technically run every day. I try to do at least a mile outside running. Now, it's not no fast mile. Now, you might get 10 minutes, 11 minutes out of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the same way. I'm not. I'm not. Once I get going, I can go for a long time, but I am not fast. Oh, no. I like I said, now, now running, I catch you for a good 100 yards, but if I'm going full tilt, at the hundred yards, that train coming to an end. Like I say it's gonna break <laughs> real quick. So, I say it, it, it's, to an end. That's good. it's just it's just it's just a hard catch twenty two. And like I say for SWAT, we had to run. We had to run nine uh, a mile in nine minutes. And like I say, I started off when I first worked at my sheriff's department. I was about three fifteen, so I got down to about two sixty. And you know, people on the SWAT team, you know, they was on SWAT before. You know, they talk about the trash. You just SWAT, you're not, and all that. You know, I like I tell I'm a big guy. Like I say running hurts my back, so I had to lose weight to get that mile down. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, I got my weight back up. I'm at 315, but I'm back, like, at 285. So, you know, I like to eat. So it's just one of the things. And I tried, you know, keto diet, which is good. But, like I said, the people I'm around, my partners, they like to eat, eat. So <laughs> they're like, hey, man, just eat this biscuit, macaroni, cheese, and all that stuff. And, you know, I'm down south, so it's nothing really healthy around. So we're going to get you a Scott Medlin eating plan then, don't we? Or something man but, you know, I, can't, I, I, I can't do leftovers or like people like meal prep i can't i'm just one of those people like i gotta have my food prepared hot like right there for me because it's not i'm not gonna want it like i said if i gotta re- re- warm my food up it it does something to me and i just can't eat it so <laughs> i don't know so eric before we wrap things up man what would your number one book recommendation be what's your favorite book uh, I got a few. Uh, I can't think of it. Uh, it's the power positive thing. I can't think of the name of it. Uh, matter of fact, I have it right here. Uh, the, the power. Oh, that's my old. Car. They should that's retire cool. that car. Uh, cool. S seven. That's my crown suppression car. I like that. I did numbers in that car. The guys on my team might not admit it, but that car put some dope on the table right there. But um. Uh, this is a book that he put me on in the secret and all that, uh, the power of positive thinking. And uh, like I said, my sheriff wrote a couple of books too. And basically he wrote a book about his whole life and then about the ups and downs of law enforcement and about one of his murder trials. That's another good book. Uh, his name is Sponsor Williams. He has a book on uh, Amazon. And then uh, Tom Rizzo wrote a book called Cop Casey. I can't remember. I have it, but I can't say it right. But basically it's about, you know, different aspects of law enforcement and just keeping your mindset right. And The Secret, like I said, that's going to probably be the best book I tell anybody to read, uh, Secret. It's not everybody's cup of tea. But some people think, you know, you're trying to think about the higher power and all that stuff. I say it's not really even that much. It's all about the law of attraction. Focus on positive things and not the negative things. So those would be my recommendations. Yeah, I know that. Very good. And for the people that don't like to read, The Secret is a movie, too. Yes. I, I've seen the movie probably three Ten times. times. Yeah, I've seen like 10 times. And, you know, one thing about the law of attraction is, you know, the first time I, I heard about it, learned about it, and I, I read the book, The Law of Attraction, everything, I was like, oh, no, it's interesting. And then all of a sudden, I started seeing things in my life that were the law of attraction in action. I was like, holy smokes. Holy cow. That is like when you see, I mean, I look back to, you know, I'm a car guy, I love old cars. And mm-hmm. when I was about 12, 13 years old, I had this vision of the car that I was going to drive when I was able to drive. 
And now it's not the exact car that was my vision, but it's pretty much the, like my the car that I envisioned was a Chevelle SS. And I have the, the same year Chevelle SS, I have it in, of the one that I envisioned, I have it in an Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, which is pretty much the Oldsmobile version of the Chevelle. Mm-hmm. And I, all of a sudden I realized that one day and I'm like, dude, that was the car that you imagined when you were like 12, 13 years old. And that car is, is pretty much in your garage right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I'd had that car for a while before I even realized that, dude, you manifested that car. I try to tell people all the time, man. I say, if you work on the, on the way you think, a lot of things will go a lot better. And I like to say, for one, like I say, once you stop thinking about it, you're going to find solutions to get past it anyway. And that's why I tell people, I say, man, if you keep thinking about those problems and like they get, it's one thing that a lot of people worry about. If you keep worrying about the bills coming along, how you're going to pay for stuff, it's going to stay there. I say, you forget about all that and worry about, you know, everything being paid off or you being financially stable and having enough money, then money comes to you. So I'm not going to say I'm a millionaire. I'm not going to say, you know, I have all this money flowing to me, but I'm comfortable. I say I don't have any complaints. So just one of the ways to look at it. Yep. When you when you have the the abundance mindset, then you don't you're not worrying anymore. Yes, sir. Yeah. All right, Eric. This has been a great conversation, man. I've loved having you on the show. This has been an awesome talk, and we've definitely had some laughs in here too. I think this might be like might be the hardest I laughed on on, on one of the shows so far. Definitely the most jokes. Definitely. I think we're going to, Chad's got Chad's got his questions ready for you, rapid fire. So we'll end with a little bit of fun. All right, okay. Eric. This is uh, five questions. This is a rapid fire game. For you, I've added an extra bonus question because these are fun, and I just had a feeling it was going to be fun. And by the way, the bonus question I added, you already touched on it earlier in this interview. It's like I'm a genius, but I'm not. All right. <laughs> five questions. Are you ready to go, Eric McCants? Yes. All right. And you kind of said this earlier, but whistling. What is the worst reaction you've gotten from somebody, either partner or anybody, from your whistling? Uh, getting a book thrown at me, partner through a book at me. And it actually hit me. It hit me right outside my head. It was hard, too. Oh, man. <laughs> Almost awesome. in tears. I was like, man, that's okay. <laughs> Dude, don't you love the South, Rye? I just feel like they just, uh, like, there's no cute and cuddly. It's like direct, oh. it's, it's honest, it's firm. I love it. Yeah, well, this is a, a, another a little ironic. I don't mean to interrupt you, Chad. This is the second show in a row where we've been talking about people getting stuff thrown at them. It is. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. We, we've kind of upped the ante. We've gone from goldfish to books. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right. What would Eric McCants be doing if he were not in law enforcement? Oh, man. Honestly, now I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe stand-up comedian. No, I'll probably be... Um, uh, teaching somewhere, probably like a math teacher in high school, something like that. Ooh, I like that. All right, worst haircut you've ever had? Uh, my mother used to cut my hair, and she used to do that bowl cut. And then one day, she decided to put a part of my head. You know, parts would be thin. Like, she made a part, like, half an inch long in my head. And she made me go to school with it. I like, And then I decided upon myself to try to take a razor and cut my hair myself. And I was, like, maybe seven or eight. And I had patches in my hair, and I... Try to wear a hat to school. She made me take it off, and that was my worst haircut. <laughs> oh, all right, that's awesome. All right, one fashion item you wish would come back. Man, I'm not really big on fashion. Let me see. Uh, you know, windbreaker suits. Also, really oh, big. my yeah. grandfather. We were really big in those, but 
like I said, it's a bigger guy. I made a lot of noise coming down the road. So, yeah. I, you know, all that shh, sh- you don't want all that going down the road. <laughs> kind of on the I had a Adidas, right? Adidas tracksuit, man. I was like late 80s, early 90s. Awesome. Wow. All right, oh. Saturday night, Eric McCants is off. No plan, no schedule. What are you doing? Uh, Sitting on the couch, I'm either probably playing Call of Duty or fighting with my boys. Okay, that's, that's I got four boys, and that's basically all they do. Fight and break stuff. Four boys. What what are their ages? What are their ages? Uh, 18, 10, well, 18, 11, 7, 5. Wow, man. Woo! I feel like we should have talked more about that. That's a full-time job. <laughs> it is. All right, the first t- f- first time ever on Five Questions, we're doing a bonus question with Eric McCants, and it's almost like this was scripted. If you were a <laughs> professional wrestler, what would your entrance music be? Man. You're facing The Rock or Stone Cold for that championship? <laughs> Ugh. Man. Mm. We'll get you hyped. Come on. Come on. What gets me hyped? Probably like Lil John Let's Go or something like that. Oh, um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, gotta have something. But uh, I, I like to watch fingers. Like, even some of my work I do, I like to watch fingers again there. And in, NWO, man, I, I was a big fan of NWO. So, man, it was just. You'd be It'll the be fourth member with Hulk and Scott Hall and Kevin Nash coming down. Oh, yeah, man. It's the man. They step aside and here, they get call point to Eric McCann to come running down. But I think my name should be Big Sexy, though. But, you know, exactly. they, already, <laughs> they already took it from me. Yeah. Yeah, didn't they? they had a Big Sexy. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Ash. It was Kevin Ash, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. I was thinking, who was the uh, wrestler with – remember the guy who did the worm and his partner? Oh, uh, D'Lo Brown. No, that was uh, the 3D, right? The uh, Dudley Brothers, Dudley Boys. There was the guys, uh, too cool, too cool. Remember the one guy, Scotty, too hot, he did the worm? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then his partner, I thought, was Big Sexy. Uh, I remember they used to call Kevin Nash Big Sexy. I remember Big Papa Pump, too. I wanted to be like him at one time. But, uh... Well, Eric McCants, you did six questions today. Good job, brother. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Eric, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show. That was a a lot of fun, learning more about you. And, I mean, I I love the stuff of the, you know, number one, the importance of having those mentors that you can follow and, you know, listen to. When those mentors mentors arrive, you have to be ready to listen and listen to them and take their guidance. That was huge. And just making sure that you're having fun on the job. Having fun. Keep those laughs. Have a good time. Remember why you're there. It's a tough job. Make sure you're keeping that smile on your face. So, Eric, I know we mentioned we can find you on LinkedIn. Do you do any other social media platforms that our listeners can find you? Uh, Facebook, but I'm not on there too often. But like that, I do Facebook. But like LinkedIn is the only one I really have at the time. All right. Awesome. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're on LinkedIn, connect with Eric. I love your funnies. I, I, I laugh at all the funnies. I laugh and relate to them. There's a lot of them where it's like, ooh, yeah, I've done that. I've, I've the one he posted last night, man. And, I, and, and the fact that he has to even say it. It's a joke, people. It's a joke. Man, oh, man. People, people, man, they're about to come off this. I say, it's just a joke. <laughs> but you got to be honest with yourself, man. If you had to take a bullet for your girlfriend or something like that, would you? I'm like, if somebody killed you, like, you're going to take the bullet for your girlfriend? You're like, <laughs> like you said, it's a it's funny, man. He's got to laugh. Yeah, man. But you know, everybody takes things seriously. So that's just is is your sheriff? Is he Alonzo Williams? Yeah, I'll probably yes, Okay. I, if there's a leader watching this, just do the job like Sheriff Williams. I don't know, know him. He's in Georgia. I'm in Philadelphia. But just because Eric posts about him and talks about him, I now know who Sheriff Alonzo Williams is off the top of my head as being a good leader because of of what Eric said. So 
Leaders everywhere, do a good job and people will sing your praises and talk about you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. If you like the show, leave a review, hit the like button, share it with a friend, share it out on social media, get the word out of the people that we're trying to introduce to the community and the good we're trying to bring. Eric, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks, Big Sexy. <laughs> right, we'll see you all next time. You, brother, brother. <laughs> that will go. Right, see you, man.